Act three is the whole book in miniature. There's a beginning, middle, and end. Rising action, climax, and falling action. Jeff Gerke. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Holt. And I'm Lee Esses. We are finally hitting Act 3. This is where everything comes together. This is the season of payoffs in your story. This is often what people think of as the most exciting act in your story. Hopefully all three acts are equally exciting all the way through. But everything that you've been working toward in your first two acts comes together in this finale that hopefully blows things up and there's lots of blood and gore and everyone fights for what they believe in and has a happily ever after. For my other Sanderson fans out there, this is the moment for the Sanderlanch. This is not a time to be introducing anything new. That was back earlier this month in the first half of your book. Now is when you're paying those things off. But first, things have to get really bad for your character. In this episode, we're going to take a look at the exterior plot, the main conflict of the story. We talked during our last episode about the interior final conflict and the darkest moment for your main character. That is what kicks off this act. Not only should it be dark for your character, but it needs to be dark for the world. Your villain needs to be on top at the beginning of this act. Your villain feels like they've won. This is why you get a lot of those villain songs in Disney Renaissance and in Broadway. You also get that villain monologue if it's a James Bond story. These moments where the villain is gloating. Like, no, look, Prince Ali turns out to be merely Aladdin. So as an author, I encourage you to take that time. I know villain monologues are seen as cliche and this and that. Take the time to let your readers know, let your audience know that the villain thinks the story is over. They think they've hit their happily ever after. The hero is tied up. They've been disabled. And the villain is confident that they have accomplished their goal of taking over the world. What makes that monologue really fail is the hero's actions, not necessarily the villain's actions. So when you are writing that monologue, have your hero forming a plan. There is a point in this where the hero is going to be buying time. Maybe they are prompting the monologue, saying, hey, villain... If you're going to kill me, at least answer me these questions. Or, in some cases, if you like to flip things on its head, the hero is going to do a monologue in this moment. A really good example of this is from The Princess Bride, where Wesley is buying time by doing his To the Pain monologue because he is actually incapable of moving and he's still trying to recover from being mostly dead. So he's laying on the bed, talking and doing this monologue, so he can gather the strength in order to stand up and raise his sword at Prince Humperdinck. And all of this buying time is the hero having faith that something will happen. Often this is the society pulling through. Sometimes it's the medicine kicking in. Sometimes it's the cavalry arriving. On the third day, look to the east. Gandalf's coming with reinforcements. 
The next step in act three exterior is revealing that secret ingredient. You've been alluding to this the entire time and how things would play out. Now's your time to pay it off. Han Solo comes back. Instead of what he said he was going to do, he delivered what he needed to and now he is gone. But he returns and it changes the tide of the whole last battle. Sometimes the secret ingredient is for the villain. Gollum is making his move at this point. Or even the character that's seen as a burden is revealing to be useful. So in Alloy of Law, you have Merisi encouraging the villain to monologue because she's buying time for law enforcement to arrive. And it's this power that throughout the entire story, she has said and everyone else has said is a relatively useless power unless you want to just make it through a really boring dinner. And then, of course, you have the final fight. This is the culmination of every tension, every question, every detail that the reader has invested in throughout the first two-thirds of your story. This has to be one of my favorite moments to write because it is that opportunity to finally use every foothold, every piece of information, every skill and ability that I have introduced, that I've teased to. I finally get to use it because we are, for the first time since Act One, meeting the villain face to face. Aladdin met Jafar, and Jafar introduced him to the Cave of Wonders and finding the lamp and all of that. Aladdin and Jafar don't really hang out a whole lot until the very end when Aladdin is confronting him going, Look, Sultan, your advisor is mean. This final confrontation between them gets to show what's changed between the initial conflict where the villain just creamed your hero to now, where we can trust that the hero will eventually win. Not necessarily how, we can't always predict that, but we can trust that they will win. And part of this is that the ticking clock is finally out of time. The clock has hit midnight and Cinderella loses her pretty ball gown and becomes who she was before. The bus finally drops below 50 miles an hour. In Siphon, the characters are about to be pulled back to their own reality if they don't do something right now in order to save the day. Keep in mind that this final fight where the ticking clock runs out where they're facing the villain for the final time, it should be in one location in one scene. Now, there are some exceptions, like if your final fight is a full-blown battle, you're going to have technical scene breaks. But that's mostly going to be point of view, shifting perspectives. I can think of a couple examples from Sanderson's books where the final fight is taking place in a couple of different spots because of how the story played out. But it is all happening at once. And it needs to feel very cohesive in that way. There are no time jumps. It is now or never. This is especially apparent in your heist type stories where the heist is all of this planning that you've done for the first two acts comes together to pay off financially, in most cases, with whatever your heist is. Also, a lot of your internal becomes external at this point. Your character practiced a certain jujitsu move several times and they failed it several times. Now is the time to get it right. 
This is also where the lie that they believed about themselves comes into practical use. They finally realize that it is not true and they can then overcome it in the external side of the story in order to defeat the villain. I also feel like there's almost always a moral to the story tossed in at this point. This is where the mystical or emotional plays a part in the story. So using the force or friendship in found families, faith in people, this all connects with that lie, but it also becomes external. Let me prove that I have faith in my friends. And that's how they win the day. Once they do win, the villain has been defeated. The final fight is over. You have the falling action. These are the consequences that immediately follow the final fight. Maybe an entire town got destroyed in this fight and they are having to pick through the rubble to find who lived and who died. This falling action in modern type stories, if it was a big epic battle, this is the characters taking stock after it happens. The news article saying, I'm standing at Avengers Square in New York City, whatever. This allows your readers to exhale a little bit and to have time to comprehend everything they just read through as quickly as possible. You may also have a return home. It's that part of the hero's journey where they return to a different world, a different landscape. A couple of things that commonly happen in this is that the doubters will celebrate the main character's victory. Now, these are not the villains or the villain's minions, but the people who maybe helped reinforce the main character's lie that they believed about themselves at the beginning of the story. You also tie up all of those loose ends. Now is your opportunity to have the cheerleader defend the nerd. It doesn't have any world-changing consequences, but you can show the growth of your character this way. And you're also going to establish that there is a new world order. We are going to talk about that more next week when we talk about our epilogue and denouement, denouement, however you want to pronounce it. But establishing that the world is better off because the villain is conquered. That happens at the end of Act 3. This is generally a part I minimize in my own writing because I just like the action and the climax. And then I go, okay, and everyone lives happily ever after. Bye! (laughs) But in order for your readers to feel satisfied about the whole story... Knowing that there is a happily ever after is a very tangible way of making it feel worth it. This is also when the declaration of love, unless it's a romance, this new beginning, this everything is going to be all right, is put on display. Because honestly, that's what we want as readers. And that's what we want as writers. We love telling these stories because of the drama, the terror, the more complex and worthy lives than we may necessarily be leading ourselves. These lives are more interesting because of the things that happen in Act 3. So make sure when you're writing your story, when you're telling your story, that you write selfishly. If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing.